It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. The 52 is over. The Cavaliers have won the NBA championship. Cleveland, this is for you. Sexton works on Irving. Hey. The shoot around. It's the first week of the Cavs offseason, and we've got playoff basketball to keep us entertained. I was pleasantly surprised by the first round of games. Things were much tighter down the stretch than they should have been. How are you doing? Things are okay. I got a chance to watch some games because I got COVID. That was a lot of fun. So I saw Boston crush Brooklyn and Milwaukee beat up on Chicago. And surprisingly, we're already into the second round. I know. I couldn't believe how fast it went for some of the games, you know, especially the Brooklyn series. But I also was quite surprised by some of the other series like Minnesota and the Grizzlies or the Sun series. Some of those games went uh, closer than I expected. How about you? I completely agree. Minnesota just kept fumbling the ball figuratively and literally at the end of games. I mean, there were times they were up by 20 to 25 points and they just let Memphis come back and win. Memphis is talented, but when you're up by that much, it's tough. I thought the Suns, that was a really fun series. Did not expect New Orleans to win a quarter, let alone two games. No, but I did love how Chris Paul went, not today, you know, right at the end. <laughs> he just, he willed it. Him and his elbows. Right, always. The NBA has been handing out a bunch of end-of-season awards, and while the Cavs players and organization were up for a ton of them, just like the end of their year, they went home with nothing. Why do you think the Cavs were left out? We talked about Mobley last week a lot. And I think of all the awards that these Cavs players and organization, you know, JB was up for coach of the year for a little while. I think of all the folks, Mobley is the most deserving in a sense. Just I think he had the best case. But we also kind of explained last week that Mobley got hurt. A lot of people got hurt. The Cavs, as the question kind of alludes to, they didn't play well after the All-Star break. It was... It's kind of like the All-Star break was their coming out party, and then they all would just Irish goodbye for the rest of the season. I kind of think that the rest of the NBA media is down on the rest of the, on the organization as a whole and the players because they didn't finish the year strong. And a lot of this, the NBA media types aren't going to catch the Cavs games, even though they are in the playoff hunt, because they're not on national television. They're barely on nba tv and yeah if you have league pass you can catch them but they're gonna pay attention to teams that are winning more often like you know boston made a huge surge and toronto made a huge surge so i think that the media just kind of overlooked the team because the team played itself out of that attention and that's unfortunate because This is a great young core that's being coached by a really good coach that they deserve all these accolades. That's kind of how they went over 
for all of these end-of-the-year awards. Is there anything I'm missing, Adam? Do you think that there's another reason or... I think your your points are right on. The Probably the biggest reason that we didn't see any of the awards come our way is because we fell off a cliff in the last 30 games of the season, which is a lot of games. There was a lot to praise from this year's Cavaliers. We had the hardest schedule coming in of any team in the NBA, which is ludicrous. I still want an explanation for that. I don't know why we're consistently one of the worst teams in the league, and yet we're given some of the hardest schedules. But we had a lot to overcome this season, and we did. And then the All-Star break happened, and we never recovered after that. Mentally, we just never came back from it. And the injuries took their toll. You can't blame the players for losing their stride when so many important pieces went down. And you know me, every episode, broken record, but Colin Sexton was a huge piece to this team. And the fact that we played as well as we did all season long without him is a testament to what this team can be. And to the improvement of a player like Garland, I think that you can't look at Morant's numbers, who won the uh, most improved player of the year, and be disappointed that Garland didn't get it. Because I think that Morant earned that distinction his numbers are greater, and he certainly had a, a large impact on his team. Now, they had a pretty decent record without him, too, so <laughs> something weird going on there. But the fact that he could even be a part of the conversation is what matters. When it comes to Garland, we needed to see him take that step. And now, I think if he comes into next season and loses a step, there's going to be nationwide questions what happened Mm -hmm. you know that's how much he's made his mark from this season so mission accomplished there and then I think that um, as far as Bickerstaff is concerned and what he did on a national stage we were not recognized and seen I don't expect that the people that choose these these finalists um, probably saw Bickerstaff and, and the Cavs coaching staff enough to determine that they deserved that type of award I think that Bickerstaff has a chance of getting it in the future, for sure. And if they had squeaked into the playoffs and maybe even won in the first round, then all kinds of accolades and things would be going his way because then truly they would have come out of nowhere. But now everybody sees them coming. They should get more televised, nationally televised games next season. So with all of that in mind, I think that this award is is more possible in the, in the near future for Bickerstaff than this season. So disappointment that these awards didn't happen, but indicative of kind of the disappointment of the season as a whole and the the fact that we need to get a little further down the road before we're going to start seeing these happen. I, I completely agree with that. I also think that there's a level of expectation with this Cavs organization where they've proven so much already this season. They got to the, quote, postseason without LeBron James. But I think Mm -hmm. nationally, there's also still a little bit of kind of a hangover effect of LeBron with the organization as a whole. Jared Allen only got into the All-Star game because two dudes couldn't play because of injury. Allen was definitely the second best Eastern center in the NBA behind Embiid. He clearly, his numbers were high up there. Embiid is bar none the best center possibly in the NBA, but Allen was proving himself to be a really formidable number two. And I think 
the NBA as a whole is going to have to see this Cavs organization and these team, this team and these players as a completely new entity without LeBron. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's going to be a little difficult when he's still in the league for 10 more years, I guess. I don't know until his grandbabies are playing. Who knows? But like what you said with Garland, he has to kind of keep that same level. I would almost argue a Garland-esque leap. I don't. I think that he can, but he almost has to take another leap to show the rest of the NBA this organization is at a higher echelon Eastern Conference team than people think. Mm-hmm. And I think Allen needs to just keep doing what he's doing and he might get another all-star if three more dudes get hurt, right? <laughs> so what I'm kind of getting at, too, is during the all-star break, there was an article that came out about Darius Garland and how much he loves Cleveland, and he loves the Cleveland mentality. And mm-hmm. that really warms my heart, but I also hope that he understands that with that love comes very little intrigued by the rest of the NBA. It's great that he likes the organization and he loves the city, but there's a chance that Garland could take another leap or become the best top three point guard in the Eastern Conference. Some fans might even say he already is, that he still might not be considered a higher echelon point guard right now. And he's young, as a, a person who has followed Cleveland Cavaliers basketball for so long, we kind of understand that there's a chance that they're not really going to get the love that they deserve in the future. But hopefully they will. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of trying to break up with them, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very skeptical of uh, the whole situation because, number one, it's all a marketing thing to say that they love where they are and you know it and and granted I think that there's sincerity behind it but I spent 10 plus years dealing with LeBron James and you know I'll never forget his letter of how there's no better place to raise your children and then once his daughter was four she was all grown up and they moved away so Mm -hmm. I just I'm skeptical of hearing these things at the end of the day they're there to do a job and I'm I enjoy the job that they fulfill that's that's what this Mm -hmm. is Mm-hmm. Uh, as people, they seem like great people, and I'm glad they're a part of our community. I just kind of roll my eyes at stuff like this sometimes. Mm. And, and it's mostly because of LeBron. It's that after effect of LeBron. And you mentioning that, you know, the organization in the city just has to kind of get past that. I don't think that the Chicago Bulls and Chicago in general has mm. passed Michael Jordan yet. Yeah. And so it, it may take a, a long time, but I think this type of team makes it more possible that we have a second birth, that we have a, mm-hmm. a rejuvenation of what is important for our franchise and for or, uh, the fan base, and what we can hold on to instead of having to go back to the LeBron years because that's the best of the best. You know, We're hopefully going to mm-hmm. be paving new positive years here going forward. Is there a team in the postseason that you feel the Cavs can copy in their success? Obviously, the teams that are in the postseason now are the best of the best from 2022. So you would want to emulate almost all of these teams in some fashion. There are probably two teams that stick out the most to me. I really love the way that they play. When I hear they're playing, I have to go catch their games. And it's kind of a surprise because the one team I've traditionally not been a big fan of, and it's the Boston Celtics. Mostly because in my youth, it was still too much of L.A., Boston all the time. 
and I still get hives thinking about that. I mean, no sport should just have the same two teams constantly battling with each other and winning 15 to 20 championships. It's just only Boston and Lakers fans like that part of the NBA's history, not me. So I'm just inherently not a huge Celtics supporter, but I love their history and I love what they're doing as an organization. I was skeptical when their coach moved into the front office and stopped coaching. I was curious how that would go over. I think smooth sailing. They went from just as good of a productive team into this season, and they've only gained in their stride. They play the kind of basketball that Bickerstaff has been promoting, which is that defensive-minded, inside-outside, more 90s bruiser kind of basketball play. I'm happy to see that we aren't the only team uh, in the NBA that's trying to bring that back. And they had a lot of success against Brooklyn playing that way. And then the other team, and I'll be briefer on this because it's an easy answer, but the Phoenix Suns, what they've been able to put together in the last few years, they're an amazing, cohesive basketball team, one through down the bench. And it doesn't matter who you mention. They're just in sync with one another. And they've got the right balance of youth and veteran leadership. Certainly somebody like Chris Paul being on your team just takes you right over the top. And it's amazing what he's been able to do at his age in the twilight of his career. I'm really hoping that he can win one this season. That's what I'm rooting for, just as a little aside there. But yeah, those two teams, I think right now, are the model of kind of how I want to see us play. How about you? When I was going through the outline and thinking of this question, I felt like Boston is the team that is closest to us, also because of their age. And they've had so many bumps and bruises the past few seasons where they haven't had success, and all of a sudden it seems like something has clicked for them. And granted, they have two extremely good wings in Tatum and Brown, and our team isn't really built that way, but the mentality of defense first is always something that JB is pushing. So I enjoy that aspect of how they play. They are always on the correct assignment, they don't get pushed off screens. I remember when JB first got there and we would see Colin Sexton play, and he he would always drop off screens no matter what. And it was, I'm sure it was the first thing JB would confront him about was you actually have to fight over your screens at times. And Boston does that in every possession. They're never out of it defensively. Now, they're clunky offensively, though, as well, which reminds me of the Cavs because the Cavs definitely need to have a better flow offensively to get better success next season. That's why I do gravitate toward Boston. Is Not every position, not every player, obviously, it's not a copycat of what the Celtics are doing, but I agree with you. Is there's, there's a bit of like an homage of what the Cavs could kind of hint at or get at defensively to really make the Eastern Conference sweat. And one guy that I don't always love per se, but I know that I would love him if he was ever a Cavalier, is Marcus Smart. I know Boston loves him. And a guy that I think, I don't know if he could ever be as good as Marcus Smart, but I think he could be as as good in in the sense of a, a thorn in the side. I think Isaac Okoro has that potential. Okoro, I believe, has the ability to really be a pain in the neck for teams on the defensive end. And Smart is always hustling, always fighting, defensively and I would really love to see a Coro even take that leap 
in the Western Conference, I would love for us to be close to the Suns on some level. Chris Paul is, is fantastic. I kind of gravitate more toward Memphis only because it's another really super young team where they have Jaron Jackson Jr., where I think Mobley can be an even better, faster, stronger version of Jaron Jackson. The similarities I see in Memphis and the Cavs are they're both super young. They have bench players that contribute a lot, and they have a young point guard, Morant and Garland, who play their own styles, and they really try to get their teams into winning positions. And I think Darius has proven that he can keep the Cavs in games when he has that chance. And so that's the other team that I kind of gravitate toward. Memphis, similar to Cleveland as well, is they still have a lot of questions. And I think the Cavs are kind of in that spot where if the Cavs are able to get to the playoffs next year and only win in one round, that'd be similar to what Memphis is doing right now. So it'd be more baby steps than we would want, but it's still an organization that you see with the Grizzlies where the Cavs could kind of emulate some of the thought process and the choices of how to build out a roster. And I think that the the Cavs could see that and, and take some of those players or those player profiles. Also, I believe JB did coach there, so I'm sure that he has a similar mindset of, oh, those are the types of players that I like. Well, I certainly think that another team on the West that is comparable to to us would be the Grizzlies. Their youth and their speed, the way that they want to get up and down the court together, the camaraderie, again, I've used that word a lot, but the way that they have bonded with one another very quickly. I could see that comparison for, for sure. And as far as the Marcus Smart comparison with Okoro, I don't know. I feel like I have a little bit of a bias in my own head about Marcus Smart. I want more for Okoro <laughs> than Marcus Smart's career has been. It's no offense. Like, I, I guess I'm still thinking that Okoro has that chance of being like somewhere on, on the way to a Kawhi Leonard type player. I worry about him being undersized, but at the same time, he played the small forward position all through his rookie year and seemed to be fine there. So moving down to the shooting guard position, I feel like he did just fine this season. It was just weird that towards the, the end of it, they gave up on him being the starter. They, mm-hmm. they moved the last two games, they moved Karras into that spot. So I don't know. I, I think Okoro has always been advertised as being a lot more. And Marcus Smart, I think, was advertised as being more as well. And he just kind of didn't end up being as much as advertised. Am I wrong in saying that? I mean, he is defensive player of the year. He averages uh, 10 points a game. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I saw Kuro averaging 20. That's the difference to me. We saw three or four games this season where he had those points. So we know he can score that way, but the offense is not running through him. They're not running plays for him. They said that they'd highlight him a quarter of the games this year. I don't think they did that. I still don't know what he can be, but I guess I still have hopes that he can be more. Defensively, sure, Marcus Smart is great, but the full package of a player, I thought Akuro came in with the defensive ability mm-hmm. and and then would develop the offensive ability to be that full package, and that's still what I'm hoping for. In seeing how Boston played Brooklyn, and I remember when the Cavs played Boston uh, a few years back when LeBron was there, and they just left Marcus Smart alone and just mm-hmm. let him shoot three after three after three after three, and it just he bricked all of them. I mean, he didn't play well at all. 
And in this series, he actually hit his shots. My hope is with Okoro in the sense of, I agree with you, I would want him his offensive output to be more in points, but the thing that I enjoy in Marcus Smart and what Boston is doing is everybody seems comfortable in playing together on both sides of the ball, where mm. clearly Okoro, you and I have talked about, does not look comfortable offensively in you know, over half the possessions, I would argue, he looks like he's not sure what to do. So I, I agree. I think the upside, he was picked much higher than Marcus Smart, obviously, you know, in, in draft sure. order. I see where you're coming from. If he's not going to score more points, he's got to be, to me, more like Marcus Smart, stealing more, being a complete disruptor and messing up complete game plans where i don't think he does that right now he can lock a guy down occasionally mm -hmm. but he can't make a team completely change how they play offensively yet in the net series he averaged about 15 points in that series mm -hmm. and i would say you know okay uh, again my my update in my own mind about marcus smart is not it's not great i the last time i gave a lot of thought to that player was years ago and I don't focus on the Celtics too often. So, But looking at his stats and what he's doing this season, he averaged 12 points this season. It was up two points. Um, I would just say, Okuro, if he could be a 15-point guy on average over the next few seasons, that would make me very happy. 20 points, I said that. But 15 on average would be perfect because that means some nights he's getting 20-plus, other nights he's at least getting 10. And mm -hmm. I think that our team, especially if we can stay healthy, there's going to be so many options offensively every night that you can't necessarily expect that Okoro is going to be averaging more than that. But mm -hmm. throughout this year, we really needed him to, to average closer to 15 a game. It really somebody too. And I kept saying that we needed somebody to a third or fourth guy to step up like that. The final seconds. According to Cavs media, they have mutual interest in a new Sexton deal. Is there a price too steep? I would say there's a reasonable price. I mean, a price too steep would be a max contract, obviously. But I don't right. think Colin's going to get that. I think he could get around $100 million. That might be a bit much, depending on what his role is next year. But this team proved that they need Colin Sexton to play at least 70 games and to be a huge contributor offensively and defensively and culturally in every capacity for the team. So I would I would hope an $80 million deal, maybe $100 million, but that's just me. He is coming off of a meniscus tear. Now, that's not supposed to have any lingering effects, no issues with his career moving forward and everything. From what we had heard, it cleaned out clean. His recovery has been great. So I wouldn't be too worried on that side. But anytime a player is looking for a new contract coming out of an injury, there's reason why both sides maybe are skittish about what they're really going to get from this deal. And I think there's a reason why both sides seem to be wanting to find a way to make this work. And to me, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a two-year contract for $80 million or a three-year contract for $80 million, something like that. I know that sounds like a lot, but... Uh, yeah, three-year contract for $80 million, I think, maybe. I know they originally were hoping to sign him for four years, $80 million, or $87 million, $88 million, something similar to the Tristan Thompson contract. And 
Sexton was always floating that he would be open to that, but his camp was always saying, no, we want the max deal and we want $233 million. And there were a lot of teams that were floating an interest in giving him that money. So it's going to be very interesting to see what the Cavs do and what Sexton's camp truly decides they can live with. But I feel like you, it's probably going to be an 80 to $100 million deal Three years at the max, I would say. I don't. I can't imagine they'd get a four. Maybe a four year because it's an option year. Mm-hmm. But something tells me he'll sign a two year contract, and it could be for even less than what we're talking about now. It could be for forty million, fifty million, first year guaranteed, second year option, similar to what LeBron would do, simply to kind of see what we have and where we want to go, and if he gels with the team, and then they can cut ties and not go with that second year option if it just doesn't work next season. That would also give him more flexibility because one of the issues his camp is running into right now is there aren't a lot of teams that have a ton of cap space this offseason. So because he's a restricted free agent, he can go possibly and get a bunch of money somewhere else, but he, he can't get more than what the Cavs can offer him. So the most money he can get is with Cleveland. And They've proven that they're a good team and that they need him. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're right, if, if it's a shorter deal in some capacity to allow him to get more money quicker in the next five years. Who do you think is more sad right now, LeBron or Durant? I think it's got to be Kevin Durant because he doesn't have four championships. He clearly wants to have all the rings. He did ruin his legacy and join a super team so he could get two. But then he left that super team to join his friend Kyrie, who has all kinds of issues, as we know. That organization, I just don't think is going to figure it out. And KD may be locked in there longer than he wants to be, especially now that he's getting old. This is almost the end for him, just like everybody else. His his peak is peaked, (laughs) and it's time for him to figure out kind of how he wants to end his career. And I would think that his situation in Brooklyn has to be a nightmare for him right now, especially the fact that they added Ben Simmons. They got rid of Harden and added Ben Simmons. We don't have enough time to cover why that's a ridiculous move. So probably him. Durant thought this was going to go so well. He thought that Brooklyn was going to win championships and that he was going to coast on some level to going back to the finals because he had Kyrie, he had James Harden, he had a solid core of players around him. But that's just not how things happen. And I think you talked about chasing LeBron's legacy. As much as people knock LeBron and people have issues with LeBron and you and I have issues with how he did stuff, He still got teams to the finals that you would argue could not get to the finals just because of who he is. He is a Mm -hmm. different type of player than Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's a Hall of Fame player, one of the best players of his era. LeBron is a different type of player and human, and he was just able to get those things done, and that is rare, period. End of story. But I think for some players like Durant they thought that they could do the same. So yes, Kevin Durant is more sad. No Cavs player has ever been named Defensive Player of the Year. Ever. Do you think that stops, with Mobley, or Allen? 
I lean more toward Mobley. He already leads the league in blocks for a rookie. So yes, Gobert and some other centers have more blocks than him. But Mobley is already that far along, barely gets in the foul trouble, hopefully is going to get bigger and stronger and faster, and has already reached that. I think the other thing that Mobley tends to do a little bit better than Allen does is I think Mobley is a little better at reading offensive sets to deflect the ball or get steals. So my money would be on Evan. But if he does get it, a big reason will be because of his comfort level with Jared Allen. So Allen has played, this was his sixth season, which is insane. It's crazy how young they start, and they're still young six seasons later. Thank you, Nets, for trading him to us again. I just Mm -hmm. always want to thank you for that. You know, he's a beast. He averages 8.7 rebounds a game, and he's that's t- that's slowly going up. It's only because of his early seasons of that's why it's low. He's been averaging 10 or close to it for the last three years. And he also averages 0.5 steals and 1.4 blocks. Then there's Evan Mobley. Now, we only have one season to look at, so the fact that Jared has been steadily getting better and that the numbers are consistent as well and throughout those seasons, that's not nothing. Mobley has to prove consistency. However, just looking at his rookie year, comparing their two rookie years, Allen averaged eight points, shot 58%, had uh, 5.4 rebounds and 1.2 blocks. And Mobley had 15 points, 50.8% shooting, 8.3 rebounds and 1.7 blocks. So almost three more rebounds, Almost 0.5 more blocks, which is not nothing because you got to get a lot of blocks to average that. And seven more points a game than Allen. Mobley is going to be a lot of things. And Defensive Player of the Year is one of them. Mm -hmm. And he will be the first Cavalier to win that award. I believe that. What are your observations from round one of the NBA playoffs? My observation would be that only one series ended in a sweep. That's something that I can't say I've been paying close attention to over the years, but I certainly know that of the 30-plus years of me watching the game, that was not anything common, especially like being a Bulls fan growing up. Those series just went so fast. The, The difference between the top teams and the bottom teams was vast. You'd make the lower part of the playoffs and go, oh, we made it. That's great. But then no one would be talking about how, oh, maybe next year you'll go further because whoever's at the top was going to be there. There's so much young talent and so much to be excited about in the NBA. And finally, you know, the West has always had so much more skill. They've just been the better half of the NBA for many, many years. And it's finally shifted. There's enough talent that's moved over to the East and enough talent that's joined the East, that now both sides, they shoot so well. They don't defend very well, but that's just the game. The way that they all play together, the love of the game that they all have. The NBA is a fun sport. I don't know why people don't enjoy it more. I think they just kind of haven't checked in on it in a while. And the NBA playoffs have been very entertaining. I enjoy seeing seven seeds, eight seeds, six seeds actually battle the first, second, and third seeds. I want to see some struggle because that just places more importance on the 82-game season or the final season that we just went through. When you breathe through the playoffs and 
the teams that were supposed to be there just go to the finals and win. And yeah, granted, we were a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is more boring. This is more akin to the way I love basketball, which is anybody can win and, and you know, best team, just have at it. I've really enjoyed it. The, the first round of the playoffs were far more entertaining than I expected, and I found myself watching the games more than I thought I would. I definitely agree there's more parody. It's surprising to me. The rookie class this year has been insane. We talked about them a little bit earlier. The Pelicans have two rookies on their team that are contributing that were later round draft choices. That In the last decade, you would not have thought they were going to fulfill any type of potential. And they have because they're joining an organization and other guys in like McCollum and Ingram and and Larry Nance, who actually can help them play. So I think that's what you're also seeing, too, is basketball, I believe, is becoming a sport where I don't know if there will be a ton of quote-unquote parity, but you're going to see that players are going to become much more comfortable playing together more quickly. I think the learning curve is going to be a little bit shorter for folks because everybody's going to be on the same page faster. And I'm not saying that, like, the NBA and college leap is smaller now. What I'm saying is all these guys play with each other outside of college basketball. They play in pickup games. They've been playing with each other since high school. So I think that they all know each other's styles of play better than they used to, which I think is really fun to see. The only other note I would add on top of yours is can Giannis get like seven more MVPs? He is a Greek freak for a reason. He is insane in everything that he does. The fact that national NBA podcasts don't talk about him for every episode is a borderline travesty because we're talking about, oh, Embiid and Jokic, you know, they're the MVPs this year. And Giannis just rolls into the playoffs and is like, what's up? Put eight guys on the floor. I'll beat all of you mm-hmm. because he is just a beast of a human when it comes to basketball and in real life like not just basketball just incredible person incredible player thank you for listening to the cavaliers basketball club podcast let's go Cavs.